I'm fulfilled by helping people shift their lives, shift their perceptions about what they believe about themselves, what they believe is possible. And that's been kind of the gift of coaching. And even to extent through writing, it, it does that too. But I think that's the thing. I don't necessarily wake up and say, I'm going to change someone's life today, but I know those opportunities are, are ever present. I'll never forget that day when I asked myself the question, is this it? Is this all there is to strive for in life? That day, I set out on a journey to find more. Now, I am sitting down with the most fulfilled to teach us the tools and tips they use to get there so we can do it faster. Think different, earn different, live fulfilled. This is Contrarian Cashflow. Welcome back, Contrarian Cashflow. I've got David Richards with me today. David, how are you doing? I'm doing great, John. How are you doing? I am doing outstanding. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to share your journey with our audience. So David is a former Marine, professional executive, best-selling author, and uh, life strategist. So David, you've got a lot on your plate. What are you working on right now? <laughs> so uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a lot. So I'm teaching yoga, but mainly I'm working on my next book, which is, is really going to be a game changer. I think I was, I was wrestling with kind of how to best describe it to people this morning, and it's really a real world fairy tale for the 21st century is kind of the best way to describe it. Uh, that, that sounds pretty compelling to me. I mean, I'm already sold. <laughs> <laughs> good, good. That's reinforcing. Good. All right. Yeah. Well, well, so I've had the good fortune of knowing you for a few years now. And, um, and so your first book, Whiskey and Yoga, just had such a great impact on me and kind of that journey for purpose and fulfillment. And so I'm just going to be forever grateful for that. So I would recommend anybody, any of my listeners to go out there and absolutely pick up a copy because I just think it's something that um, can definitely enrich their lives. But uh, I wanted to kind of go from the beginning, right? So sure. I know growing up, I mean, you kind of moved around a lot and then you went into the service. So what started you down that path in the first place? Yeah, I think, well, it wasn't, it wasn't intentional, right? So I, I tell people now, sort of after some reflection, that I grew up as a Marine. Like, even though I wasn't wearing a uniform, but, you know, being a kid in a Marine Corps family and moving and living in Japan for three years in, like, 70s and 80s when no one was doing that, um, it wasn't intentional. I always loved writing. I always loved English and storytelling, um, but I had no idea just didn't have a lot of exposure to what else to do. So the Marine Corps is a natural fit. And for me, I was really kind of following the script that my dad had written, right? So he had been a Marine for 31 years when he retired. And I just thought that was kind of the path to go. So I was going to do, you know, 20 or 30 years and then figure out something after that. You know, as I kind of went through my military career, I rediscovered writing because I had a boss who actually painted and it just you just didn't see that kind of creativity a lot in the military. At least I didn't see it. And so, you know, this is probably around 2000 when I started working for this, this guy and it got me back into writing. That eventually led me in 2006 to leave the Marines and set out on a different path. And, and that was, you know, yoga was a big part of that too. Um, and I didn't immediately get back into writing. I, I think I started dabbling with writing some horror stories, but because uh, <laughs> I, I wanted to be like the next Stephen King, but um, I don't think that was necessarily going to be my calling, but I just kind of explored it. And then in 2017, got to ask myself what my purpose in life was and, and everything kind of just exploded from there. 
Yeah, no, I mean, and I think that's just so interesting. So I hear so many people and have conversations with so many others and it's like, hey, my parents were down this path and that's kind of what drove me in that direction, right? You know, from from me personally, it was, you know, hey, dad got a good corporate job and was making a good income and that's kind of what, you know, kind of defined him, right? And that in the end was almost, you know, a, ba- a negative because, you know, once that went away, he was having a hard time to really understand who he was and what his value in the world was. And I just think that it's so interesting in general that, you know, the paths we take and choose are so much defined by, you know, who's influential in our lives and especially in an early age, you know, and I think that's one yep. thing that I'm working through right now is, is redefining, Hey, what, you know, what is that journey of purpose and fulfillment well, so so you, you you dug into the yoga a little bit there, but obviously you know a marine that's a that's a writer right. and into yoga. So how, how did those come together? Yeah, I mean, really, it's so funny because I look I look back, you know, now where I am in my life and and certainly where I've been, and it was just these little like these little slivers of possibility. And what I mean by that is. I had no exposure to yoga in the Marine Corps. I couldn't tell you how to spell yoga. I couldn't tell you what a studio looked like. And it just happened that I got out of the Marines in August of 2006. Um, I read an article in Sports Illustrated about somebody from the um, NFL using yoga to strengthen their core. And I thought, you know, I don't do a lot of core work, so I'm going to look into that. And I went to my first class um, and I thought, you know, if nothing else, it'll help me stretch between lifting weights, because I, I, I lift a lot still. And uh, the first class was a, what I call a gentle yoga class. So there wasn't a lot of sweating, wasn't a lot of exertion. And I just didn't like, it, it just kind of felt weird. And so I was like, ah, oh, maybe this will be all right. But two days later, I went to a different class, different style instructor, and I'm just drenched in sweat. And we're doing these poses. So they have in yoga what they call a bind, where you try to like, you wrap one arm around a leg and then your other arm comes behind your back and you're trying to bind your hands together. And I, we we're trying to do this bind. I couldn't do it. And I'm just watching the sweat drip onto my mat. And the yoga instructor comes by and she's like, use your hand towel. And um, so I grab my hand towel and I wipe my face off. And she's like, without missing a beat, she's like, no, use your hand towel to bind your hands. And I'm like, oh yeah. So so I so I bound them. But I think the big thing for me was like coming out of the military. I didn't get a lot of email like in my last assignment because I was in Central Central America helping militaries down there modernize. And when I came to corporate America, like I'd get 50 email in an hour, and it was just this deluge that my mind wasn't prepared for. And so I would leave work and just have this noise in my head. And the crazy or remarkable thing about yoga was when I got onto the yoga mat after like the third or fourth class, it would be quiet. Like my mind would just go still. And it was this kind of like, what is that? Like, how is that happening? And it was this, well, that's your awareness and you're being present in the moment. And so it was like, I got to get more of that. What does that mean? And so I, I kind of got hooked into yoga immediately. And a year later was an instructor and have been teaching ever since. I mean, that's a great story. And, and you know, like you said, with the bind and stuff, I, I love that one. I know I've heard that before, but that's a, that's, that's a really great uh, intro into your experiences with yoga. So I want to dig in a little bit on the awareness piece. And I think that's so important now with coronavirus and just, you know, social media and media in general. And there's just so much 
constant, you know, you mentioned email, but there's constant alerts, notifications. We just have a constant influx of data coming towards our brains at every second of the day. So you obviously you mentioned yoga, but how do you, how do you really work through kind of getting to that level of awareness and not being bogged down by the amount of distractions that we have heading towards us every second of the day? Well, it's kind of like, it's a great question, especially in this day and age when there's so much information coming at us at any second, but it, it comes back to, you kind of have to get clear on like what you want. And, you know, in the same sense that we talk about, you know, I, I remember when I was 30, 31 years old, um, I had this habit and routine with my boss. Like I was in the Marines, I was stationed out in California and we would work and then around lunchtime, which for us was 11.30 to 1, we would go play basketball because we had a basketball hoop right beside um, our office. And so we'd do this religiously. But then after that, we'd go to McDonald's. I'd have like a double cheeseburger, Big Mac or whatever, of a, like a gallon of Coke and fries. And so like one day someone came out and like I had my shirt off. I'm like, whoa, what's going on, sir? Because I had this little like tire going around my midsection. And it never dawned on me that like what I put into my body really mattered. So that was how I discovered mm-hmm. like, oh my gosh, like eating healthy creates a healthy body. Well, the same thing is true mentally. You have to be conscious of what you're digesting mentally. And some of it we can like, we can control, but if you, you know, like it's what you follow on Instagram or like how much you're posting on social media, like what are you posting or what do you follow? If you're following like, you know, I don't want to denigrate anyone, but if you're following stuff that isn't necessarily mentally nutritious, then you start to have to question like, why am I doing this? And so, you know, for me, one of the greatest pieces of advice I got as I kind of really started campaigning for my next book was just cut back on, look at, look at what you're following in social media and scale back. And if, if it's not people that you're dealing with or hearing from on a regular basis, then ask yourself why you're doing that. And so I think that's the biggest thing is it's not just about like physical nutrition. It's about mental nutrition as well. And that comes from like starting to regulate and and figure out what you pay attention to and what you focus on. That's such an important point. And, and one thing that you've talked about before that I really like is the concept of moderation too, right? So you don't want to remove that entirely from your life, but have a place for it and say, okay, for 10 minutes or 30 minutes or whatever, you know, whatever the time you think is reasonable to, you know, just veg out on either social media or Netflix or, you know, or kind of back to your point, you know, you go to McDonald's. Okay. Well, if you do that once every couple of weeks or, or whatever the duration that you have, then you're not just kind of building up and there's not just this huge rush of, <laughs> you know, going back to these, these uh, actions that aren't as nutritious for your, your, your body or for your mind. Yep, for and sure. so I think that's just such an important point is you don't want to, keep yourself from those things entirely because then there's going to come a time where the pendulum swings severely back the other way as well. So, so obviously you've got your professional career, you're, you're, you're making your way up the chain there. Yep. And then you come to 2017. So you talked about writing some horror fiction, but so, so why, how were you able to get from kind of, you know, dabbling in writing, doing it on the side to actually getting a book that, was published and obviously, uh, you know, became a bestseller. Yeah. Well, I think it, it comes back to, you know, so I knew when I didn't, when I decided not to retire from the Marines, I just got out. I knew I was breaking the script that my dad had set. And so that was like, that was a profound kind of moment because I'm like, okay, 
I'm not following this path anymore. And so, okay, well, what path am I following? And, you know, the writing for me, like corporate America, like my dad had done corporate America for 10 or 12 years after he got out. But for me, it was, it was more like, how do I fit into civilian life? Because I've never been a civilian. Like my dad grew up on a farm or in like rural Iowa. So he had been a civilian before he joined the Marines. I was always in the military. And, um, and so it was like, what does it mean to be in the civilian world? And I think some of that was figuring out like what people talked about, what people didn't talk about. It was just, it was this really kind of weird education that I went through. And then I think as I got into the horror stories, it was just always like, for me, one of the like most profound books to that point that had had an effect on me, this is gonna sound kind of funny, but it was Pet Cemetery by Stephen King. Because I remember like as a young adult, I was probably 14 or 15 years old. I was a teenager, so not, maybe not a young adult, but I was reading that book and I was scared to finish it because it was so scary. Like this, this <laughs> horrible thing. Yep. And so I was like, I want to have, like, I love Halloween. And so I wanted to have that kind of like, how can I tell a story that people can be like, oh my gosh, I don't want to finish this thing. It's so intense. And so it just kind of petered out. So in 2017, in January that year, actually, I started reading um, Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich. And, and it was kind of my first introduction to much how I said, um, the McDonald's revelation was, oh my gosh, what you put into your body actually matters. What Think and Grow Rich taught me was what you put into your mind and what you focus on. Chapter of the book, he asks, what is your purpose in life? And John, it was this like punch in the face. It was like purpose in life. What are you talking about? Like, Because in the military, it had always been, what do I want to do next and where do I want to go? And that's kind of, and that was like, and that was in a microcosm kind of how I lived my life because up until that point, even as a kid, we moved every two, two and a half years or so. And it was this ritual that life was just this transition between this place to this next place and transition from this friend, you know, this group of friends to this group of friends. So the purpose of my life, I was like stunned. I was like, oh my God, how can my life have a purpose? Like, what is that? And so I remember I grabbed a notebook and I wrote like a purpose statement. It was something to do with writing and helping people find their purpose. And so I started writing whiskey and yoga almost immediately. And I'd gotten a t-shirt for uh, Christmas that was that ironic t-shirt. It was a whiskey and yoga t-shirt because <laughs> I, I'm a yoga instructor, but I also like whiskey. And yep. so it just played out and I started writing it. And, and from there, it, uh, I think I published it by June, but it, like, it, was, it was something that pulled to me. And I think that was the difference between writing horror stories always felt like a push. Like I was trying to force something in and I'd get like a hundred pages into a story that I was really excited about. And then I'd lose interest in it because I'm like, I don't know how to like tie this out or finish the story or whatever. But with whiskey and yoga, it was like, I'm going to do this and I'm going to figure out how to do this. Yeah, no, I, absolutely. And I mean, uh, like I said before, I mean, I would recommend any of my audience to go and definitely check out whiskey and yoga. It, it, it had a profound impact on my life, um, kind of in the same way. I wasn't really a big reader uh, at the time and, and I went through it and it just, it really stuck with me, you know, about purpose and intention and really kind of being the, the captain of your life, right? Yep. You know, and I think that kind of led me down the path of thinking you're rich and a couple of the other, you know, great texts that are out there about mindset and about educating yourself and intention. And so I just, I'm very appreciative of it. And uh, I'm I, so I think great it's to hear great, that. 
yeah, no, I think it's a great, a great text for, for anybody to go pick up. And, and, and it's a pretty easy read too. But so what was the process like actually? I mean, so that was pretty quick turnaround from when you kind of started the idea to where you actually got the book out and published. So, you know, was that, was that process seamless or, or are we missing a couple of uh, bumps no, in the road there? It, no, it was, it was certainly bumpy. Um, I think I hired a coach who kind of gave me an overview of the writing process. And that was really helpful because I didn't like, I, I just didn't know. And she connected me to a publishing company who did self-publishing. So they'll publish it, they'll get it on Amazon, they'll do all that stuff, but they don't do really any marketing for it. The editing with, with this group wasn't like what I really wanted, but I started writing and it was gonna be this autobiography because I think that was my inspiration was like, oh my gosh, like I've discovered my purpose in life and. I want to share with people how I did that. And so I wrote like 200 pages and I like, and it was great in the sense that I developed a routine. So I'd get up like at four or four 30 in the morning, I would take a cold shower. I would do this kind of meditation to set myself up. And then by like five, five fifteen, I was writing and I would write until like seven o'clock and I'd get ready for work and go do my thing. And so I got to like April of 2017 I kind of wanted to like assess where I was because I was like, our houses, houses coming around. And I'd written like 200 pages, which was phenomenal because I'd never written 200 pages on one subject. Um, but I was only like 1992. And like, so if I play this out, I still have at that time, you know, 15 or 25 years to go or whatever. And this is going to be 500 pages. No one is going to want to read this book. And so I, I kind of like, I had this moment. I'm like, this isn't going to, this is not what I want to do. This is not the answer. And I think I Googled how to outline a self-help book. And I found this kind of very concise, very simple. Here's how you do 10 chapter outline. And so I kind of copied that down. I set aside with without much without much regret really because it was kind of part of the process. But I set aside the 200 pages that I'd written, and I came up with this 10 chapter outline. It was focused on like, let's make the titles catchy, and and then just make these little snippets in each chapter. And part of it was honestly the biggest thing was, can I do this? Can I write a book? And even at that point, it was like, can I, like and I and I like when I look at whiskey and yoga now. I, I sense that sort of uncertainty as I look at the reading and it's very different from the lighthouse keeper, but, but I wrote, um, and it turned out to be like a hundred, it took me two months to write it. Once I got in the, got the chapter, the outline put together, um, from there, like I said, the editing was a little bit of a surprise to me because I had like, a, I got a copy back and I think it was 10 days before the book was supposed to go launch. And I let my mom read it. And she's like, there's two typos and a fragment sentence. And I'm like, what? This <laughs> like massive panic. So I sent it back to the publisher and like, oh, we'll take care of it. But yeah, so it launched in October of 2017. It went to number one on self-help and uh, yoga, uh, ironically enough, on Amazon, which was super gratifying. Um, and then that was it. So from, from there, uh, the Lighthouse Keeper was kind of born in, in Whiskey and Yoga, as you know, because there's a couple of snippets in about the lighthouse. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, I think that's so important is people sometimes have these ideas and they think the the path to success is so simple, right? You know, it's like, hey, I want to do this. Okay, well, I'll just get there. And then that first time of adversity that they see, you know, they're like, oh, this is a lot harder than I had expected it to be. So I still think it's so impressive you were able to get that all together. 
in that time frame, you know, and put it together. And one of the things I like about the book a lot is that you weave in personal stories with also kind of like some high overarching mindset tricks and tools and, and ideas and thoughts. So it's like you said, so it's kind of like a, there's a lot of biographical information there, but then there's also how does that translate into, you know, becoming who you want to be. And I think that's why, you know, it's very compelling uh, for me and, and why I enjoyed it. Well, thanks. So, you know, and we, I think we talked about this before, but it wasn't like, I think every writer has this idea that like their book is going to change the world or, and, and you realize like very quickly, especially when I had a coach, she's like, you know, write for one person, just come up with a person and write almost to that person. And I kind of did that. I felt like I captured that more in Lighthouse Keeper. But the other thing was, I wasn't doing it to be like, I wasn't doing it because I hope this book sells a gazillion copies at some, like I, I, I kind of wavered on that, but at some point you realize, you know what, I got to make this the best it can be. And it's going to resonate with who it resonates with. And, and what I was going to say was, you know, I wrote whiskey and yoga and that was a self-development or self-help book. And then I wrote the lighthouse keeper and that's a fiction book. And like, you're not supposed to do that. You're not supposed to, you're not supposed to, it's like, it's like Guns N' Roses does a heavy metal album and then they come out with a country album the next one. You're like, you're not supposed to do that. <laughs> but, but it wasn't, again, it's not like I wasn't looking for like, oh my gosh, I have to build on whiskey and yoga and come up with like a sequel. Like all my friends would say like, oh, do margaritas and Pilates. I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to do that. Um, but, you, you know, because you, you kind of have to find your own journey and then sell that, you know, do put that journey out there and let people absorb it. Well, and I, I think that's so great that you're kind of not following a traditional path either, right? You know, you said you did a self-help book and then you wrote this one of fiction, but um, so I just finished it recently. And I mean, <laughs> you know, not to be too much of a homer, but I, I would highly recommend The Lighthouse Keeper as well. I just think it's really strong and just that that negative self-talk and that doubt, you know, probably that was flowing through you throughout whiskey and yoga and even probably throughout writing The Lighthouse Keeper. I think that's a lot of problem that prevents people from taking action is who's going to care or, you know, what, who's going to really want to read my content, my article, listen to my podcast. And I think that's what prevents so many people from starting is that negative internal dialogue versus, Hey, who can this help? You know, what more can this do to propel somebody on a goal or a journey that they have on their own? And so, so as far as like helping others and, you know, this journey to, to purpose and fulfillment how, what offers you fulfillment right now? Like what kind of drives you to do more and, and get up in the morning? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. I think, you know, I'm fulfilled by helping people shift their lives, shift their perceptions about what they believe about themselves, what they believe is possible. And that's been kind of the gift of coaching and even extent through writing, it, it does that too. But I think that's the thing. I don't necessarily wake up and say, I'm going to change someone's life today. But I know those opportunities are, are ever present. And I know, you know, I've been so humbled by what you shared, your experience in reading both books. Um, I know even just as I was writing Whiskey and Yoga, I remember this so clearly. I had had someone in my office and we were talking about the book and just how like the importance of having a purpose, like having this directional idea towards your life. And it's not directional towards like, I need to accumulate more stuff. I need to get a bigger house. I need to get a nicer car. It's like, who am I and how am I contributing to the world? And how can I make people better? And so it was just this really lively discussion. And I, I walked the person out of the office and she shook my hand and she said, thank you, you changed my life. And I thought it was kind of this, I like kind of dismissed. I was like, oh, that's really sweet of you to say. And she grabbed my hand. She's like, no, 
you really changed my life. And the idea that we can do that for one another on this planet is tremendously fulfilling. Like the idea that you can say something and not saying it from a place of like trying to, because it wasn't like I wasn't trying to preach to them. I was like, what you need to do. It was just like, this is what I've discovered. Or this is what I've you know realized. And, and through my sharing, they had this transformation. So I think that is like deeply fulfilling and it's, it's, you don't always know when those opportunities are going to present themselves, but I think it just comes back to being authentic and sharing your story or sharing your message. And it's going to resonate with people when it resonates. Absolutely. And I mean, I just think that's, you know, that's, that's what it's all about is finding that what drives and motivates and and fulfills you. Cause you talked about, you know, accumulating material things and, you know, and, and not that that doesn't have a place, but you know, from everything I've read and been a part of, you know, enriching relationships and, and helping those the most around you is really what's going to offer the most fulfillment and purpose to the majority of people. And that's kind of what, you know, what I've leaned on is time with my family, time with friends, time being able, time freedom, you know, time being able to be spent how, how I'd like to spend it. So one thing we've talked about before is the burn the boats, right? I know you're a big Tony Robbins disciple and you've been, been to a ton of events. And so I think that's interesting. So obviously we've talked high level about, got a very successful corporate career, you're an author, you're a coach as well, but you know, potentially that transition someday from a corporate career to an entrepreneur or a full-time author or, or you know, kind of how you define yourself moving forward is kind of an interesting one, right? Because it's, it's great to have these aspirations, but there's also a financial component to it too, right? Sometimes yep. I think a lot of people don't understand, hey, jumping in head first is great, right? And that's a great way to get started. But at the same time, there are some drawbacks many times financially, especially for some people that have been incorporated and had a successful career that's been prosperous. So, so what kind of are your thoughts or how do you see your transition moving forward, I guess, from an income perspective? Yeah, it's, it's a great call out. And I've got, you know, so I've got some re- recurring revenue coming in from the books, which is not a lot. It's, I mean, it's like, it might be good for dinner some months and, and other months it's a little bit more lucrative, but it's, it's not a tremendous amount. And so there are some investments I've made, but really I think it comes down to, you know, as you look at that shift, it, and I, and I always like, I, I still believe that you burn your boats, but really, what does that mean? Well, it means you're dedicated to a path. And does it mean, you know, I was talking, I was coaching with someone earlier this week and they're hoping to get a promotion at their current company, but in the meantime, they're looking at other opportunities. And I said, well, do you really think the company can recognize that you're really giving it your all when you're doing six hours? And, and the guy's like, well, no, but you know, that's kind of what I'm doing. And I'm like, okay, but then you can't be disappointed when you don't get a promotion because you're not fully invested in like trying to make this thing work. And I think I still believe in burning the boats, but I think what that means to me now is like staying on your path. And for me, the path isn't like I'm dropping my corporate thing and then just figuring this out. Um, You know, I've, I've thought about that, but I think like you said, there are financial realities to that. I read a great book and I, I want to say the guy's name is Adam Grant, uh, but he's called The Originals. I think that's the name of the book anyway. I'm, I'm probably butchering it. But, um, but he talks about how there are people who, and I think it was like some of the people who first invented Apple or like started Apple or whatever, like they didn't leave the gig they had until like Apple was fully baked and they knew it was going to be this huge successful thing. And so it was kind of, it turned that idea on its head. But it's not about like just jumping, abandoning ship and saying, okay, I got to figure this out. You can certainly do that, but you could also put yourself in a very precarious situation. For me, I know that my future 
everything, my future success, my future path is tied to this third book. And I know we've talked about this and part of it is, you know, a book, a book has a story that it wants to tell too. And that sounds funny to say, but like, like you're writing something, but it's also how you write that and where the inspiration comes to get those, you know, why you choose one word over another. And and that like, there's something else that, that gets put into a book. And so the, like, I like to say the book has a chance to say what it wants to say too. And that's the biggest lesson I've learned this year is letting that creative process take place. And so I'm not advocating anyone like just jump out with no like safety net in terms of like financial stuff. But I'm saying if I think if if you have a path and you know you're on the path and you trust that path, then everything is going to work out and you'll figure out when it's time to leave corporate America or when it's time to like take that leap of faith, so to speak. And and that's like that's currently where I'm at for sure. Yeah. Well, I think one of the points you brought up that is so important is to, to, to stay on the path, but the path doesn't have to be, you know, a line in the sand, right? Hey, I'm giving up one to do another, right? If you can right. find a way to weave those together and give it your all at both when you have the time, you know, so obviously during your working hours for one, you're, you're fully invested and then you're working hours for another, you're fully invested. And I think that's what a lot of people run into sometimes is it doesn't have to be a zero sum game. It doesn't have to be a, Hey, I'm jumping in head first and you know, whatever happens happens because I think that the downside to that can be, you know, additional stress, additional strain on relationships, depending on, you know, if you have kids or if you have a spouse and you know, if there's less, less income coming in, you know, that's something that can always be a challenge. So I think that's one thing that I always recommend is just kind of defining what is the most important to you and, and how can you get there in a way that's going to enrich your life, not, you know, hold it back. Um, you know, are there times that just jumping in at first is the only way to really get to where you want to be? Of course there are, but you just need to make sure that deep down that you have the knowledge and the aptitude and the emotional fortitude to weather that storm. <laughs> Cause it can be rocky at times. Like you alluded to. But I think, no, you bring up a good point, John. I think the big thing too is resolve, right? Because like, I know that I'm on my path. Like I know, and it doesn't mean like I need to leave my corporate gig now or anything else, but I, I know I'm on my path and I'm committed to that path. And I think a lot of times what happens is people get discouraged because they hit roadblocks and then they come up with excuses like why well, that wasn't gonna work out anyway. And so they kind of go back to their safety zone or their safety net. And I think what you realize is, well, if you really want something or if you really like are tuned into like carving out and refining your path, and I certainly think, you know, in the spirit of transparency, that's what I've heard from you as our relationship has evolved and matured because like, I mean, I think you got Whiskin Yoga a couple years back, you read it, and you're like, oh my gosh. And that like changed the tra- trajectory of our relationship. And I think for people to, once they really lock into, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to figure out how to make this work. Then it becomes about, all right, it's not about the obstacles that come my way. It's about figuring out how to get around those things. Well, so the last thing I wanted to touch upon here before wrapping up was, um, so you say something and I hope I'm not saying the quote incorrectly, but, uh, there's a purpose to our life and we have to have the courage to pursue it. And so I think that's, that's something that some people struggle with is, is actually building and drumming up that courage to pursue that thing that they know will fulfill them the most. So, you know, either in a coaching relationship or just in general, how do you how do you recommend or or how do you relate to people to drum up that courage so they can actually do that thing that is going to bring them you know the most fulfillment or happiness in their life yeah it's you know it's it's a great question and i think the more you sort of 
face it, the easier it becomes to understand. But I think the initial kind of contrast or the initial thing that people struggle with is it seems so daunting. And it's like, well, if you can like, and, and part of it is right. If we know what to expect, then we're not, we're not really growing because we're, we're operating within a paradigm that we understand what's going to happen. And so people do that and people create this paradigm. They create these patterns and their habits in their lives. And they don't want to leave that because it's familiar and it's comfortable. And if you say, well, if you want, if your purpose in life is X, then you have to do Y to get there. People are like, well, okay. And again, they start out that path, but then it gets too rough. I'm like, oh, you know what? I'm going to come back to home base. And so I think it really comes down to having the courage to kind of break out from the paradigm. And, and or it's almost like breaking out from the matrix if, if you like are a fan of Keanu Reeves movies. But like, how important is it to you that you are up to speed on what your friends are watching on Netflix compared to your own self-development and your own growth? Because there's this idea, well, we kind of got to keep up with the Joneses. And I like, I want to be, I want to be able to talk when we get together for these parties or whatever about what's going on. But is that super important? And if it's not super important to your purpose, then how much time should you be really spending there? And I think that's the shift that people struggle with making because it's like, what's good enough? Is it good enough for me to have the comfort and safety of a secure job, a nice house? And then, okay, I'm just going to sort of cruise control on life or I'm going to spend and devote all this energy into my kids. And that's where my life becomes. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But if it's not helping you grow and develop as a human being, then you have to start to question how much value or how much time you should be giving that. Yeah. And I think one thing you kind of alluded to there is also regret, right? On the kind of, you know, starting from with the end in mind, right? And I think that's one thing that kind of scares me and has motivated me to push myself outside of my comfort zone is I don't want to be on my, on my, you know, last day saying, oh man, I wish I did this or I wish I did that or I wish I would have invested in this relationship more. Right. And I think that's what a lot of people, you know, you never really hear the story of, oh, the person said, I wish I had more material items or I wish I worked harder. It's all, I wish I had more time with my family or I wish yep. I had more time with my friends or I wish I spent more time intentionally building relationships and, and doing things for others. And I think that to your point about to really see the gains that you want, you need to push yourself outside of your comfort zone. And that's where the growth happens is where the discomfort is. And I think that's, that's hard for some people because it's easy to become complacent and be satisfied with where you're at. And there's nothing wrong with that, but just know that if you stay there and live there, there's a chance that life may pass you by to an extent, or, you know, you may kind of stagnate a little bit. And so I think that's just such an important message for people is that, for them to, to aspire to more, you've got to constantly be putting yourself in positions of discomfort. It's not just a one time, hey, okay, I wrote this book. Okay, great. I'm good now. You know, like I did it. It was a struggle and I'm over it. It's you get to that next level and then all of a sudden you're like, okay, well, now this is comfort. Well, now I need to push myself again. And I think that's just where, where the real growth happens and where people are able to break out and become, you know, this you know, this rocket of potential and momentum is, is when they continue to, to be comfortable in the uncomfortable. Yeah. I love what you said. I think that's a great way to say it because it's, it's one thing to be like, Oh, what, you know what? I don't like roller coasters. I rode one. That's it. Like it's okay. But you know, life in its own way is its own roller coaster. And so you can choose to like not ride it. And like you said, you're going to get to the point where you're like, Oh my gosh, I should have done more. I could have done more. Or you're like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm uncomfortable again today, but like, I know that growth comes through discomfort. And so 
like when you start to understand, then it's like, all right, I, I know you almost become comfortable in being uncomfortable, which is this weird Zen-like moment, but I think it's very true. And I, I love how you said it. That's one of my favorite quotes. Yeah, I get comfortable being uncomfortable. It's yep. just that that's just the the mantra that you need to adopt is, you know, if it's in a social setting, if it's in a professional setting, if it's in a physical setting, if it's in a mental setting, just get yourself used to, okay, this is this is where I'm pushing myself to. And then it just has to grow from there. You know, I just think anything stagnation is is going to lead to to long-term pain regardless, right? So it's also yep. a little bit defensive too. <laughs> yeah, no. Protecting yourself from, from the unknown uh, as well. No, I love what you said. Completely agree. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, man, this has been a great, great conversation. I, I love your perspective as always. It's extremely motivating and, uh, you know, helps, helps me center myself a little bit. So we'll wrap up here with the contrarian three pack. So I know we'll delve into a little bit of a investment game. I know you talked about having the multiple streams around the, you know, the book, the coaching, obviously yep. some other things in the corporate career. Um, but so from an investment perspective, what would you say is the most contrarian or off the beaten path investment that you've made uh, in your career? You know, I think besides investing in myself, I think the thing that most fascinates me is um, technology as a service and not necessarily IT, but like, or transportation as a service, I guess I should say, because I think there's this huge wave of um, self-piloted vehicles coming. I think like if you, if you do research on it, it's really fascinating, but like they have, I don't remember the name of the company, but I think somewhere like in Phoenix, they have, you know, 60,000 of these pilot, like driverless vehicles. And it's like this revolutionary new service. And so they're saying like that can take over in the big cities. Of course, now that the big cities are being emptied because no one wants to live and pay, you know, $2,500 a month in rent for 400 square feet in Manhattan. Um, but the idea that technology as a service is coming and it's going to transform how we live because we're going to get away from the fossil fuels. We're going to get away from like, you know, do I need to maintain the, I don't know, $3,500 a year that I put into maintenance for my vehicle when I can just have a subscription for a monthly, you know, vehicle usage that I say I can even go to the grocery store and within five minutes, a car shows up to my house that doesn't have a driver in it and it just takes me to the grocery store and then like waits or whatever. So I think that's, and I've, I've, I've gotten some uh, investment into that, but I think like, I know it's true, but I think it's the biggest thing that I, the biggest thing I've ever done for myself from an investment standpoint outside of that would be just investing in myself and, and like, and doing the work to figure out who I am and, and what I can do to make this world better. Yeah. Well, I can't, I can't knock that. That's, I, I agree. I think that's the best investment that you can make, but back to the technology as a service, I think that stuff's so intriguing. And honestly, it kind of goes back to what we were discussing just previously around the discomfort, right? I mean, so a lot of these transitions are happening, whether we like them or not, right? Yep. You know, coronavirus has made us a heightened sense of awareness, you know, around things that are important and things that maybe weren't as important. And so I yep. think to your point, just there's a lot of new technologies that are on the on the precipice of becoming mainstream. And uh, I like you, I've followed a bunch of that autonomous uh, vehicle opportunities, right? Um, be it on freight or passenger vehicles, and it's in extremely intriguing. So I'm right there with you. That's something that I'm going to be super curious about. I've been a little hesitant to take the dive in uh, just because I've seen some, you know, accidents and things like that. And, right. and I don't know if it gets too uh, matrix or, or whatever, you know, having all these uh, autonomous vehicles driving around everywhere. But 
But I agree, regardless, it's, it's irrelevant what I think. The reality is this technology is moving forward at a, in a blinding speed and it's just a matter of time before it's adopted. So, you know, finding that right horse to get on and, and taking it across the finish line is going to be a tremendous, I've, I've read a few articles lately in that same regard saying autonomous vehicles are, are going to be in a huge demand in, here in the near future. Yeah, it's it's so interesting, and I think like even with you know five G's coming online now, and like they talk about you know I saw something on uh, a headline about the worrying about deepfake videos and how to spot deepfake videos, which I think is is just a reminder that what the technology can be used for like in a negative sense, but but I think the idea that you know just the idea you think about how especially here in the U.S. where people are kind of pride themselves on their cars. Like I have an F-150. I love my truck. I've gotten like custom worked on it. But then it's also like, well, wait, if you're saying that I don't need to worry about a truck and I don't need a garage and I don't need maintenance and I don't need all this other stuff and I can just borrow a car anytime I need to go somewhere, that's pretty cool. Like, uh, you know, I want to hear more about that. So it's it's an interesting time for sure. And I, and I agree with you, the pandemic, you know, someone asked me the other day, do you think anything's going to go back to normal? I'm like, well, not the normal that we knew back in January, February of this year, there's going to be a new normal, but it's going to be, I think, radically different because there are like just gigabytes of, or terabytes even of data that we're learning in terms of how to work better, how to live differently based on the constraints that the pandemic has put upon us. hundred percent. And that was kind of what I was speaking to earlier about if you don't get comfortable being uncomfortable you're going to be in for a, a rude awakening because the world changes around you regardless if you want to change or not. So if you're not adapting and yep. evolving, you know, you're setting yourself up for some, some heartache, uh, moving forward. So, um, so what, what are some, what is a favorite activity of yours to do with friends and family outside of writing? And I would have said a year ago or even 10 months ago, I would have said, um, Spartan races. And so it's, it's kind of ironic that, um, I did uh, I did this 50k last year this ultra race in miserable conditions in Charlotte in November and so but it, it kind of galvanized this group so there's about 10 of us or 12 of us um depending on the race who would go travel to these races and and it was just nice cuz like we get airbnbs together and just built this nice camaraderie and so at the beginning of this year in January one guy hosted everyone at his house and he had laid out on his pool table all the potential races that we were looking at for the year and so and sign up sheets and so like at the end of it i think i was signed up for 25 races or something which is phenomenal wow. like, I, I, did, yeah. I, did I did my first race in 17 i did three races in 18 i think i did 11 or 13 races last year and that was gonna be 25 and so we started out like gangbusters we did two at the end of january two at the end of february one in the beginning of march and then like the the brakes hit and so it was just like done I was supposed to go to Greece in actually this weekend I was supposed to go to Greece for a race uh, uh the trifecta world championship next weekend in Spartan Greece or Sparta Greece um so but outside of that really what's kind of kind of helped me stay positive and optimistic has been working out with those same people so when the gyms closed down here in North Carolina we ended up working out together in parks and uh, one of our trainers like took as much as he could from the gym, stuffed it in his SUV. And then we'd go to a park, he'd unload everything. We'd help him set it up. And then we'd go work out, tear it all back down. And then now that the gyms have opened again, we're, we're 
back to the gyms, but that's, you know, just being outdoors, being physically fit is something that um, I love to do with folks. Yeah. Well, and then there's that uh, evolution, right? Hey, you know, something happens and you guys have to find a different place to work out and, and do it in a socially distant uh, manner. So, um, you know, definitely getting used to uh, the unusual. So, yep. and then I know we, we talked about this one a little bit earlier, but obviously just want to end with it as well. So, what does offer you the most fulfillment in life? Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's really like helping people like focus more on themselves. And I say that, and I actually, I did a podcast yesterday where I talked about this with someone, you know, oftentimes when we focus on ourselves, we do it, but we're looking for exterior validation. And what I mean by that is if I'm like, Oh, you know what? I need to lose some weight. So I'm going to lose some weight. And, and then like people at the gym are be like, wow, you look amazing. And so we're making this connection that if I do this, then I'm going to get this. And really, I think it's not like when you, when in a coaching situation, you're not looking for that opportunity because you don't know when the opportunity is going to present itself. And the whole premise of coaching is to get curious about your client. And, and what happens during that, sometimes it's really magical. And so when you ask a question and your client pauses because now they're actually having to think because you've either highlighted to them a pattern for them that isn't necessarily great or a habit that they've created or, or a belief that they've kind of blinded themselves to or blinded themselves by. And they're like, Oh my gosh, like I had a client a couple weeks back who he kind of got uncomfortable during our coaching session, but then afterwards sent me a note and he's like, I think I'm close to a breakthrough. I'm like, that is so cool because like helping someone move forward and advance their understanding of what's possible in their own life, I think is the most fulfilling thing that we can do for someone. It's, it's just that idea of, of helping someone because that's the, the beautiful part is you see someone make a shift and then you get the fulfillment, not because you're like, Hey, this is what you need to do, but because they did it on their own just by a question that you asked. Yeah. I, I just think that's such a great point. And I think, as I network and interview and talk to more and more people, I think that's really the, you know, the majority of folks say, you know, being able to help others attain their goals and aspirations and finding that in themselves. Right. And then you're kind of duplicating yourself right now that they know that that's possible. They can go share that with somebody else, you know? So it's kind of like a, you know, an exponential growth type scenario when you're able to impart on somebody what they're truly capable of. And, and I, and I totally agree. So, um, well, David, this has been amazing. So what's the best way that listeners can get in touch with you and where can they find your books to go purchase? Yeah, no, thanks, John. This has been a pleasure. It's hard to believe it, it's like, I'm looking at the time and I'm like, this is, I can't believe we've been talking for so long because it seems like such a short time already, but, um, David Richards, author.com. So go there, uh, coaching services are available there. If you're finding yourself struggling to work through anxiety or dealing with uh, the new normal that the pandemic has created for us. Uh, my books are available there. I'm on Instagram, David Richards, author as well. Um, you can also go to Amazon to get the book. So lots of opportunities. Awesome, David. Well, I'm excited to hear your next book when it comes out and check it out. Uh, like I said, I'm a big fan. So thank, thank you, you again. I really appreciate the time. And uh, until next time, this is Contrarian Cashflow. Thank you for listening to Contrarian Cashflow. I would greatly appreciate it if you left an honest review, hit subscribe so you never miss an episode, and share with someone you feel would find value. Until next time, think different, earn different, live fulfilled.